0: please be seated. Well, it is great to be back here. Joe and I just were so excited to uh, uh, get the invitation from Steve. He needed, uh, I guess he's celebrating a birthday or something this weekend, so um, he wanted to go party, and uh, he invited us to come, come up and be with you again and we have such wonderful memories of this past summer and the Sundays that we were with you. So thank you for letting us come back and thank you Roger and Jill for hosting us last night. It was great to be with you and to reconnect with many of you. Um, I'm gonna have just a little interaction here. Um, Wanna ask the men, what is the first thing that we do when we meet one another for the first time. What do we, after we shake hands, what do we, what do we ask one another? What do you do? do, you do? That's right. Uh, we inquire about each other's job or profession. And so we might say, well, I'm an electrical engineer or I'm an executive for Acme company. Or some of us like me might, might say, I'm retired. I don't like that particularly. Uh, so I'm actually going back to work it's just that nobody's paying me anymore So, <laughs> but it, for many of us for men our identity is wrapped up in what we do or how we earn our living what about the women what, when you meet each other for first time what's usually your first question <laughs> do you have a family that's right Sometimes you might ask, well, do you work outside the home? Uh, But yeah, usually it revolves around family. Um, How many children do you have? Uh, You might identify yourself as, uh, you know, I'm homeschooling, or uh, older women are usually asked about the number of grandchildren. If we probe deeper, we might want to discover a little bit more about our accomplishments. So for years, some people would ask me what I did and I would answer, well, I'm a writer. Well, inevitably, they would say, well, what have you written? Well, 40 years ago, I didn't have much I could say. Now I can say I've written more than 30 books. But is that really who I am? I could also answer that I'm a husband, been married for for 42 years or that I'm a father of two sons and a daughter and a proud grandfather. In fact, I had to give my wife my phone because otherwise I'd be holding up a picture of my granddaughter for you all. <laughs> proud grandparents want to be known for their beautiful grandchildren. For some of us, however, we are influenced more by what other people say about us When people speak well of us, we may feel good. But when someone starts saying negative things, I can start feeling bad. Others' words can hurt deeply, can't they? And can affect our perception of who we are, especially from members of our family or I might just say from our church. For others, our identity may come by what we possess, by income or job title or net worth, Some people identify themselves by their racial um, identity or their national uh, uh, country of origin. But what I want to ask this morning, are any of these things who we really are? Is that our identity? Or is there another perspective? Maybe we need to ask, how does God identify you? How does God identify me? In today's gospel, we see Jesus baptized and introduced to the public by John the Baptist. John was clearly surprised when Jesus asked to be baptized. Until then, he probably didn't realize fully who his cousin was, but he recognized the superiority of Jesus, and he reluctantly agreed to baptize Jesus. And then we heard this morning these words uh, from heaven. And I thought I'd marked... Give me a minute to find it. We we read that uh, the heavens opened and Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, let's think about this for a moment. If you met Jesus around that time and asked what he did or who he was, how would he answer? I don't think he would say, oh, I'm a carpenter from Nazareth, but I'm in the transitioning into a new career now. It's interesting that in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus has not yet started his public ministry. He hasn't preached one sermon. He hasn't called a single disciple. He hasn't healed one blind man or leper. And still the Father states, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus has barely started his mission, but he already has the approval of his Father. What did that do for him as he entered into his ministry? Thereafter, in many ways, Jesus declared that his sole desire is to please his father. In other words, the love of the father motivated the son to do and say everything the father asked of him. His life and his ministry was lived out of who he was as as was announced by his father. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus didn't have to explain who he was. When Jewish leaders demanded that he justify himself, he often just pointed to what he was doing. Look at what I do. Look at the signs. Look at the good works that I do. Listen to what I say. He was so comfortable with who he was, he didn't need a title. He didn't need people to call him Messiah. He didn't need to brag about the things that he had accomplished. What does that mean for you and me today? For our identity? For many of us, our identity was formed for better or for worse by our earthly fathers. When I think back to my youth, I know my father loved me. He said so often, but I don't think he would have said I am well pleased with you. At least not when I was younger. You know, if I brought home a report card with all A's but one C, guess what? He would focus on the C. How can we get that a little bit better? He was definitely proud when I published my first book, but he also had to go through it, mark it up with a red pen, every grammar mistake, every poor choice of words. That was a little hard for me to accept. It was a fact, he was a better writer than I was, with a far greater vocabulary, and yet I had more success professionally. And I think he and I struggled with that, with that conflict. So, what was my identity? my identity? I was my father's son and he was proud, but was he well pleased? I've met too many adults who still long for the approval of their father. Sadly, sometimes they never receive it. Even if their father has passed away, some still strive to prove themselves worthy to live up to their father's expectations. But now I want to come back. How does God look at you and me? I still remember the shock a few years ago when an old mentor of mine said, Al, You are the beloved of God. Now that brought me up short. Me? Beloved? Now wait, that's what God thinks of Jesus, not me. Why would God love me? Well, let me count the ways. Because I've served him in ministry for 48 years? Nope. Because I've been married to my first and only wife for 42 years, that's a good thing. But that's not why God loves me. Maybe it's because I've gone to some difficult places in the world to help strengthen persecuted Christians. No, that is not why I am his beloved. Let me state this really clearly. Each one of you is beloved of God not because you are a good moral person who attends Christ Our Hope Anglican Church. You are not God's beloved because of how much money you may have made or given away. He doesn't love you anymore because you started and grew a company from scratch or traveled to a country on the other side of the world as a missionary. No, you simply are loved by God. If this makes you a little uncomfortable, I understand. You see, it makes sense that God loves his beloved son and is pleased with him, but how can God love me and be pleased with me? I'm very aware of my faults, my sins, my imperfections. Surely God can't call me beloved, at least not yet. Maybe there's hope for the future when I shape up, become more obedient, do more things to please him. Do any of you feel this way? I think most Christians struggle in some way with these kind of thoughts. And that's why we need to look carefully at the scriptures. When I do, I'm shocked by what I discover. I'm going to read just a few verses. Listen carefully, for they reveal the depth of God's love for us. I'm gonna start in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, where God asked to see, where Moses asks to see God's glory, God says He will make His goodness pass before Moses and will pro, He says, "I will proclaim before you my name." And then Moses, you will remember, is sheltered in the cleft of the rock because no one can see God's face and live. And then the Lord descended and passed before Moses and proclaimed His name. This is what God revealed. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. A godly friend of mine has suggested this may be the most important verse in the Bible because here, for the first time, God reveals he is a God that abounds in love. Was that just for Moses or just for the Israelites? There's no modifier here. God abounds in love, period. And this revelation transformed Moses. It informed the final sermons he preached to the Israelites. In Deuteronomy, Moses declares, "...the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession." It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Therefore, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. As I comb through the Old Testament, I find many declarations of God's love for his people. Almost the last words of the Old Testament in Malachi 1, the Lord says, I have loved you. The prophet asks, how has God loved us? Malachi goes on to declare that the great day of the Lord is coming when the Messiah will come and purify his people like gold and silver is refined. So we might think that up to now, God's love is only for a chosen few, the Israelites, direct descendants of Abraham. But there are numerous hints that his love extends far beyond one nation. So we come to the New Testament, and in the Gospels, that love of God is openly declared. We all know John 3:16, right? For God so loved, what? The world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the love of God the Father is tied up in the love for his son. When Jesus was baptized, the Father declared, this is my beloved son. But God sent his most beloved possession his greatest love to us. And Jesus declared that both he and the Father love us, each one of us. In the upper room before Jesus went to Calvary, he said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus explains that this love is manifested when he and the Father will come to us and make their home with us. In our gospel reading, we see that the Spirit of God descended like a dove on Jesus. Later, Jesus promises that when we love him, he will send that same Spirit into us. In other words, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, makes his home in us. Listen again to the words of Jesus. He tells his disciples, the Father himself loves you. Why does the Father love them? Jesus says, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. Jesus then goes on to reveal his heart and the heart of his Father in this prayer recorded in John 17. He prays, "The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I am them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you loved me." So that statement today, "This is my beloved Son," that is the love with which he loves us as well. Now Jesus declares the Father loves us even as he loves Jesus. As we think about our identity, I submit to you that this is a truth we must focus on. I may have a hard time believing that God the Father loves me, but I can see the love of Jesus, and I can trust his words when he says that the Father really does love us. The epistles reinforce this. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 1, 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Ephesians 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, beloved. We are God's children. 1 John 4, 8, <coughs> anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So we have to try and comprehend this amazing love God has for us. One of my favorite Christian authors is Henry Nouwen, and he wrote a book called Life God. Of the beloved. and writes about the blessing Jesus received at his baptism. You are my beloved son, on you my favor rests. Nowen said it was that blessing that sustained Jesus through all the praise and blame, admiration and condemnation that followed. Nowen continues, I hope that you can hear these words as spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are beloved. The voice that speaks from above and from within whispers softly or declares loudly, you are my beloved son or daughter. On you my favor rests. It certainly is not easy to hear that voice in a world filled with voices that shout, you're no good. You are ugly. You are worthless. You are despicable. You are nobody unless you can demonstrate the opposite. These negative voices are so loud and so persistent that it's easy to believe them. Now that is the trap of self-rejection. It is the trap of being a fugitive, hiding from your truest identity. I think Nawan captures well my own struggle. I've spent... 48 years in ministry serving God and I still find it hard to rest in the fact that I'm beloved not because of anything I may have accomplished or not just because he loves me I am loved simply because I love his son in our psalm God the father declares my faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him with his son and then he adds this God will make him the firstborn, firstborn of many children. Guess what? We are those children. God declares, I will establish his offspring forever. And then in our reading from Acts, we see that this love is not just for the Israelites. Peter declared to the Roman centurion, Cornelius, and his family and associates in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Men and women, children of Christ our hope, you are beloved. I want to invite you to live in the truth that we are beloved. And I have a suggestion. Why don't you begin each morning as you wake up, just spending a minute, and then the last moment before you fall asleep, thinking of this, I'm God's beloved. I know that because he has adopted me as his son or daughter, and I want to live today in that truth. This love which God lavishes on us when we truly grasp it fills us and overflows from our lives, spilling into the lives of everyone we meet. Therefore, the fact that we are the beloved of God Will be our motivation when we have that difficult assignment to do at work, or spend time with a troubled neighbor, or change that dirty diaper, or help a teenager struggle with adolescence. It is God's love for us that motivates us to please our Lord and to share that love with everyone we are in contact with. Every Sunday, we have a reminder of how we can absolutely know we are beloved. When we come to the communion table, we eat the bread and we drink the wine representing his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Jesus declared, you are beloved on the cross. He invites us to eat the bread and drink the wine as our weekly reminder that all is forgiven. We are loved. We are now part of his family. What further proof do we need? For God so loved you and me that he gave his son. That's love that we cannot comprehend. But we can accept it. We can remind ourselves daily that I am beloved and I know it because of the cross. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, may the truth that we are your beloved burrow deep into our hearts this morning. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to silently reflect on this amazing truth.